the vote has power. If the vote didn't have power, it wouldn't keep coming after it over and over and over because it changes the dynamics in society. Welcome to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. And we're here with you on a Saturday because we have something special for you. A deep dive as Axios kicks off Hard Truths, a project examining systemic racism in America. This will be a year-long series covering a new topic each month, issues like education, housing, technology, and healthcare. But with a bitter election just days away, we start with voting, specifically voter suppression. And here's why this matters. If you're white or rich, it's easier to believe systemic racism is something that ended years ago. The term even systemic racism has been really politicized by the president who doesn't want to say that it exists. This is the executive editor for Axios, Sarah Gu. She's helping report this series. Our goal here is not partisan at all, but our country is facing a real upheaval about race in America right now. And through our journalism, we felt like, well, let's look at this. Let's be factual, clinical. Let's examine the bigger picture and hope that that will inform what we're seeing in the news. How can we get a better understanding of the bigger picture to help us understand the events of today? So, Sarah, when you say systemic racism, what exactly do you mean? When we talk about systemic racism in particular, we're not talking about accusing everyone in this country of being a Klansman, burning down churches, that kind of activity. What we're talking about is something that's part of the foundation. One aspect of systemic racism is the looking at our laws, our institutions. And the truth is, our laws have been barriers, really, for people just because of the color of their skin or the country of their origin or other things they can't control. So we wanted to look at that first and bring that context and dig deeper into these hard truths. And while talk of systemic racism might be top of mind right now in this year of racial reckoning, systemic racism's history is long because it's the history of America. I'm a bit of a genealogy nerd, and my mother is too. And I was looking at these laws. You look back into history, and one of the first laws our country passed, aside from the Constitution that counted a Black man as three-fifths of a white man, was against Asian Americans, against Chinese Americans specifically, preventing them from becoming citizens. And that is one side of my family's experience. And I've looked and seen passenger manifests of my Chinese ancestors coming from Hawaii to San Francisco and being segregated on a separate passenger manifest that came exactly from those laws in our history that treated Chinese Americans differently. And on the other side of my family, my mother's side, were descended from people who were on the Mayflower, the first baby born in this soil of, you know, the first colony is an ancestor of mine with direct lineage. So the difference in those two experiences of who is a citizen, who has power, who counts, who's legitimate, quote unquote, was vastly different. Sarah's story is like many American families in that it's a story being kept from participating in democracy. In the 1920s, there was a law specifically passed to exclude Japanese citizens and Asian Indians from becoming citizens and therefore voting. It wasn't until 1924 when Native Americans, like the original people of this country, were allowed to vote. In 1940, just 
3% of blacks in the South were registered to vote because of literacy tests and poll taxes and other intimidation tactics. Chinese Americans couldn't vote until 1943. It wasn't until 1964 that poll taxes were banned by federal law. I mean, this wasn't that long ago. Sarah mentioned poll taxes. Those were banned in 1964. But a lot of states were still discriminating and suppressing votes at the ballot box. So in 1965, the Voting Rights Act was passed. Carol Anderson is the author of White Rage. She's also a historian at Emory University. What the Voting Rights Act said were that states or jurisdictions that had a history of discriminating against this population at the ballot box had to get all of its voting laws okayed first by the U.S. Department of Justice or by the federal courts in D.C. And then in 2013, there was a key Supreme Court decision in Shelby County v. Holder. The U.S. Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision, gutted Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. What gutting the Voting Rights Act did is it meant that those states didn't have to get their laws cleared first, that they could implement racially discriminatory laws and let those laws do all kinds of damage to the electorate, to the democratic process. And that's the state of play where we are right now. This is the foundation that built up modern-day voter suppression. I wanted to bring Sarah Gu back in. What I wanted to understand, isn't voter fraud really just about partisans trying to affect voter turnout? Like, is it really fair to call that racist, right? I mean, let's be honest. I'm Mirna Perez, and I'm the director of the Voting Rights and Elections Program at the Brennan Center for Justice. Sarah spoke to her about modern-day barriers to the ballot box, whether it's voter ID laws, purging registration rolls, things that have been put in place in defense of protecting against, quote-unquote, voter fraud. And her answer to me was... Well, I mean, I think it's about power. And I think that there are politicians extraordinarily anxious about the browning of America, and they're trying to manipulate the rules so that they have a job security plan. When we were talking about this before we when we were preparing to record this conversation, you mentioned something that stuck out in your interview with Mirna, that these barriers to voting that you're talking about, they don't occur in isolation. Why do you think that's an important thing to recognize? Well, I think she makes a good point that it's not one voter restriction here or one law here in another state. It's that they compound each other. And they create two things, a culture where people feel like the system is rigged against them and also that their vote doesn't count. I'd like to take like Texas as an example, because Texas is one of those places that has barriers at every point in the pipeline. So let's say that you're not registered to vote. Well, one way in which people get registered to vote is by uh, registering to vote online. Texas doesn't have an online registration system. Let's say you get through that hurdle. Well, Texas has been purging a lot of voters. So, you know, you might have gotten on the rolls and then found yourself kicked off because they're doing these aggressive purges. Let's say you overcome that. Well, Texas is consolidating a lot of its and closing a lot of its polling locations. So even if you wanted to vote, you might not know where to vote. So you're like, okay, in-person sounds hard. Maybe I'll go the vote-by-mail route. Well, that's not available to everybody because Texas is one of the very few states that limit who is allowed to vote by mail, even in a pandemic. Let's say you qualify for vote-by-mail. 
Well, you can't apply online for your mail ballot application because there's no mail ballot application online. What you can do is, you know, download it, print it out, and mail it in and hope that it gets to you. We'll see if that is available. And then the governor just issued a proclamation limiting where you can return your vote by mail ballot. And in all places, it's only one if the government's proclamation stands. Well, the city of Houston has like 4.7 million people. So how are they all going to go to one polling, one ballot return location and be able to use that as a realistic option? So let's say you get through all of those hurdles. You either figure out how to vote in person or you figure out how to vote by mail. Well, let's hope that you didn't make a mistake because Texas is actually prosecuting people who make mistakes and vote when they're ineligible. And again, that's not just one thing. It's a series of things. And one of them is going to carve out some people. Another is going to carve out others. Another is going to carve out others. And for what? Mirna's point here is that when you make it harder to vote, these steps like having to print out materials or find the one place to drop off your ballot or the fact that you could be prosecuted for doing it wrong, many nonpartisan organizations have found this disproportionately affects non-white Americans. And Texas is not alone. I mean, since 2013, when the Voting Rights Act was gutted by the Supreme Court, many Southern states started passing more of these kinds of laws to create barriers to vote. And maybe this hasn't gotten as much national attention because it's been happening at the state level. And by and large, most people don't have problems with registering to vote or voting. The act of voting is pretty simple and quick. But you can see that the long lines since this primary election have really grown and people have faced more barriers because of COVID in particular. And so you can see the impact of all this history in our laws not to mention the political rhetoric around voting, that impact carries through to the 2020 election right now along racial lines. We've got this exclusive poll coming out just this weekend. We asked Americans about whether they think their vote will be counted and whether they are concerned about things like voting in person because of COVID, whether their vote will actually be counted, and even whether things like armed militias will show up at their polling places. The results are jarring. I mean, there are stark differences between white and non-white Americans in all of those answers. It's like two different worlds. In some cases, half of white Americans have these concerns I just mentioned compared with Black Americans and Hispanic Americans. And just one stat, nearly 6 in 10 Black Americans say they're concerned that their vote won't be counted. And the numbers of white Americans are 10 points lower. That's the country we're living in now. We wanted to present this history because it's the ultimate context to understand what's happening right now. Like, what is it really about when you hear politicians or pundits talk about voter fraud? What are the real motivations for voter ID laws, for purging registration rolls, and for disenfranchising those convicted of a felony? Over the next month, we'll be asking those questions, examining hard truths, because the facts are that voter suppression hasn't gone away. It just takes different forms. We've got a lot of stories on this at our website, which you can find at Axios.com. 
Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. Special thanks to Axios Executive Editor Sarah Kehilani Gu, Hard Truths Editor Michelle Salcedo, Margaret Talev, and Fidel Alisson. Thanks also to Axios co-founders Jim Vandehei and Mike Allen. You can write to us at podcasts at axios.com and find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Monday.